All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wine Bootcamp podcast presented by Company. Apologies for the delay, truly. Um, I know it's been many months since we last put out a podcast, and yeah, I have no real excuses other than mm, COVID. Okay. I did record this with a good friend of mine, Lauren Turk, a few months ago, and most of what you'll hear is highly relevant for our day and age. Some of what you'll hear is no longer relevant to our current business as it stands today. You'll know what that means as you listen. So just, you know, if you hear some stuff about this is what we're doing right now, maybe that's not what we're doing right now exactly. But nonetheless, we learned a lot about composting and her business, Ferris Zero, in this podcast, and we would be very much remiss to not share that with you all, because I think there's just a ton of really good information out there that you can implement into your lives as you go and something that we're still trying to do at company and it's what we did at supernatural lake we worked with a composting facility up here to make sure that all of our food scraps went to compost and not to the landfill so definitely some growth that we've done professionally since this podcast and hopefully you guys can enjoy and learn for yourselves thanks Today's Wine Bootcamp podcast by Compagnie is presented by Berkshire's Direct, premium farm baskets delivered. At Berkshire's Direct, we source our goods from multiple small farms in the Berkshires and surrounding regions that believe farming should be about quality, flavor, using sustainable practices, and low or no pesticides at all. Connecticut residents can eat peak seasonal, reduce transport, and maximize freshness, nutrients, and taste. Take $10 off your first order using promo code FARMFRIEND10. Berkshire's Direct. Delivering your weekly bounty of farm fresh goods from the Berkshires agricultural region and beyond. To order, visit berkshiresdirect.com. Welcome, listeners, to uh, the Wine Bootcamp podcast. Uh, welcome back. This is the COVID 19 Stay Home. Keep listening. Turn it up a little bit louder so your neighbor gets annoyed. Just kidding. Edition at the Wine Bootcamp podcast. A little bit different uh, format today, as you can imagine. Everything's a little bit different in general. Well, still recording from the wine bar, so I have turned off the compressors, so hopefully things will be a little bit quieter in that regard. Some cars and buses might still go by. Some people might knock on the window. But uh, I am looking overlooking sunny Center Street with, of course, the beautiful police building on the other side my car in the foreground hoping that i don't get a ticket i'm gonna keep my eyes on that and uh, i actually have on the other line straight from la that's right the first time we're doing a broadcast that is uh, with somebody who's not here with us physically but she's here with us spiritually i have a friend of mine her name is lauren turk it's hard to summarize what she does and who she is in you know one sentence you really kind of just have to live with her for a little bit which you will be doing shortly we met in university we were both studying abroad in paris at the time and that was undergrad, so she would go back to Paris, get her master's in some sort of international relations situation, which she'll tell you a little bit more about. And then she moved to L.A. and kind of was just like, I'm going to become a singer-songwriter. And we always knew she was talented. And then just to see her kind of put her energy and heart and soul into something completely different, watch her succeed in that, and then watch the two worlds really kind of come together, which was her physical talents and desire to share those, and then also her just like cerebral desire to sort of change the world for better. She's been successful in her music career, um, and then also kind of took that very quickly and threw in sort of a philanthropic element with it, and recently has pivoted more into the philanthropic side. And we're going to talk more about that today. She's launched a company company called Ferris Zero, trying to eliminate food scraps and turn them into compost, something that company definitely believes in and something that we've actually collaborated with. You'll hear more about that, but uh, welcome back to the podcast and also welcome for the first time, Lauren Turk. 
Thank you, Caleb. It's really fun to do this. This is a real treat. And yeah, like Caleb mentioned, we met about 11 years ago. So we've been friends forever. And I don't think there's a single time that I've come to New York where we haven't had a (laughs) delectable, extravagant, wine-filled dinner. And I always come to La Compagnie, and I love it there. And it's been amazing to see what you've done with it. And I just admire you so much. And New York wouldn't be the same without you. Well, we certainly miss New York. And actually, I think it would be kind of a fun experiment, especially for the listeners at home who haven't been to Company in at least two months, if not longer. Can you describe from your perspective what it was like to walk into the wine bar? I found it to be very sexy and exciting and a nice intersection of everything I love from Europe and from France and from the legacy of fine wine and fine dining, but also with so much pizzazz, just the ways in which you have programming, like um, your music nights and trivia. You know, I'm not in New York, so I haven't gotten to fully participate in all of them, but that vibe permeates La Compagnie. So it's a really cool intersection of old world and new world culture with a lot of New York spice, just that really high energy excitement. I'd say that's that's what it felt like for me. Good to sort of, A, transport myself through somebody else's eyes as sitting in the bar, but then also I know for many of the folks who haven't been able to be here in a while who would probably love to join us and sit at the bar, sit at the table, be able to kind of transport back even for a quick second. Hopefully that was a pretty cool exercise. I brought Tony Maserati in with me once. Remember that? I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> Tony Maserati. Coolest name in the world. And he's this amazing... He's this legendary audio engineer, uh, session guy, very talented audio engineer and producer. And he's worked with, like, name somebody. Beyonce, Pharrell, Mary J. Blige. I just, I don't know, all the, all the coolest cats in the biz. And there was this funny thing happening where most times when I'd go to New York, he was also going to New York. And we both live in L.A. And so it was just, it became this thing that we would go have a drink and talk biz and so I was like, well, hey, you got to come, you got to come to La Compagnie. And that was, that was super fun. Always nice to meet people's friends from all over the world. We're all definitely missing that right now, I'm sure. But I mean, maybe talk us through a little bit from your sort of journey from Illinois to Paris, back to Illinois, and then back to Paris, <laughs> and then out to LA. Yes. Well, Paris changed my life in so many ways. And I like to sum it up. If you could see me right now, I have a huge mass of curly hair. And when I was growing up, I was kind of the only one, for whatever reason, around me with with such hair. And I was actually quite ashamed of it. And, you know, people would like stick their finger in it. And I don't know, I just, (laughs) I just hadn't grown into my own skin yet and like fully loved and accepted myself. And so I was straightening my hair and I was dyeing it blonde and I was trying so desperately to fit in. And um, what Paris offered me in a nutshell is that I stopped straightening my hair and I realized that I have amazing hair and it just became this whole revolution and coming of age and becoming a like just leaning into my femininity and who I am and so part of what happened there was also I began performing again in Paris unbeknownst to me I was working at this um you might remember that bar restaurant I was working there on weekends it's like an Irish pub in the first yeah yeah right by Tuileries and 
what happened, which was unexpected there, was there was this homeless man named Jerry who had a nice friendship with the owner because they were both Irish. And so Jerry would come in and he would play. I don't know if you ever saw him, Caleb, but he would play. Oh, I don't know how you missed this. So Jerry, Jerry would come in and play the piano and sing. And he had the most incredible mellifluous voice. And the deal was he'd come, he'd sing, he'd play the piano. People would come for him because they loved him. And we would feed him and give him a bottomless pint of Guinness. And all was well in the world. And Jerry and I became pals. And he started inviting me to sing with him. And that like changed my life. Not even kidding you. It changed my life because all of the performing I had done as an adolescent up until that point was on more of in like this context of being isolated up on a stage, you know, either in a theater context or like choir or a singing competition. But it wasn't this experience of Paris where you're like, you're in a pub with people and you can see them and smell them and they're a foot away from you and it's visceral and it's exciting and it's sensual and it's all of this. You feel so alive. And I was like, oh my God, I love to sing. I love to perform. This is inside of me. I have to greet it and and love it and explore it because otherwise I'll never be whole. And so... The odd thing was, you know, I was, as you said, studying political science, economics, international relations, renewable energy. You know, I had all these interests. I still do. But I'm also an artist. And I'm also an artist. Like, let's get rid of but. And so my journey to L.A. was really this attempt to explore the multidimensionality of being and of a life. Can I be an artist and can I also work to repair broken systems in the name of justice for both people and the environment? That's who I am. And so I've been marrying the different sides of me and honoring the different sides of me ever since Paris helped me uncover it. And it's been very cool to sort of always check in, you know, like let's say every six months and get like these updates. And they're always like quite seismic in their their shifts. It's like... It's like, oh, I'm living in L.A. and I'm kind of figuring it out. And then six months later, it's like, oh, yeah, I met this, like, producer. And, like, yeah, I'm like, I might have a record deal. And I'm like, okay. And then six months later, it's like, oh, okay, maybe that didn't work out. But now I know, like, three producers. And like, I'm going to be, like, singing for, like, this, like, benefit concert. That's out. I'm like, okay. It's always, like, <laughs> like, these massive sort of changes. And then yeah, what are, the, like, the most impactful ones that you spoke about recently, which was singing on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Trash Gyre, which, you know, probably most listeners have at least heard of the Pacific Trash Gyre. I hadn't heard of the Atlantic until, you know, you brought it to my awareness. There's, like, five or six. It's horrible. Wow. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit and then maybe how that sort of has ended up informing your this new project? Well, I've always been passionate about waste. Fun fact, before I went to Paris, before I decided to do a master's, the first job I applied for was to work for Veolia, which is a waste management company. So it's really wild that I'm coming full circle with it. I've also consulted over the years, and that's a part of this story on the ship. But basically, it was called the Ocean Plastics Leadership Summit. It was the first of its kind. And people in my kind of entrepreneur network organized it, and they got 160 CEOs and CSOs from huge companies that create plastic pollution. It's radical, such as like Nestle was on board and Pepsi was on board and P&G was on board and Kimberly Clark was on board, but also Greenpeace was on board and people from the World Wildlife Fund were on board and Break Free from Plastic and Upstream and all of these interest groups and nonprofits that are fighting plastic pollution. We put everybody on this ship. It's an expedition 
ship, it sailed from Bermuda through the Bermuda Triangle into the Sargasso Sea, the gyre, the plastic gyre in the Sargasso Sea. And plastic gyres are formed because of wind patterns, basically. It'll gather all of the plastic in the ocean in a circular motion into the same place, these kind of like islands underwater. So we're on this expedition ship, and there were scientists on board as well, people from the Five Gyres Institute doing analyses and and helping people understand the issues with plastics in the ocean and microplastics being particularly cumbersome because they're so teeny tiny. Fish and animals, fish eat them and think that they are food or just are swimming and they end up, you know, ingesting them if their mouth is open. And that is very fatal, but also it's very problematic for us because then we're eating fish that have plastic in them and plastic is really just petroleum, which is oil. So it's, you know, not the thing that you want to be putting in your body and having be part of your biome. But it was this incredible opportunity. We all got on the ship and literally every person on board put on a wetsuit and swam in the pollution to have a visceral upfront experience of this is the problem that we're all creating because there's no question why plastic is in the ocean. It's not a natural earth pattern. It's people make plastic and that's how it ends up in the ocean. So there's no argument, which is a relief. And we did a brainstorming session for three days. And I was a facilitator of how do we solve this problem? And then I also performed some songs. And that was incredible. I I got to also talk with people who run recycling facilities and just get so deep into why it is so hard to bring everything to a halt and stop because there's these extremely complex and interconnected distribution, supply chain, production methods that are creating this problem. And really, it's going to take the collaboration across sectors and industries to crack the code. I can't help but also think about this moment with COVID-19 and the lockdown. It's such an unprecedented halt of everything. And in a certain way, (laughs) the feeling on the ship was like, how the hell will we halt all of these processes? You know, it's just impossible to get buy-in for that. The lockdown is so tricky for so many reasons, is causing so many people pain, and it's, it's terrible. But there's also this silver lining and huge opportunity as all these systems are coming to a halt to really take a look at them and to change them for the better. When we do go back to normal and things open up, that we've designed a world that is better than the one we left behind. I fully agree. I mean, yeah, if we're going to bring everything, you know, like you said, to a halt, it, let's, <laughs> let's rebuild it stronger when we turn the machine back on. Otherwise, we're just going to end up in the same place again and we'll have only ourselves truly to blame this time because now this is our chance to start it you know before you know the sort of the billy joel song rings in my head like we didn't start the fire you know it's always been burning since the world's been turning well now the fire's out and we got to put the fire back on and how do we make the fire you know one of of good you know so kind of i guess let's be intentional exactly so flash forwarding to you know something you've launched recently talk about you know ferrazira how have you sort of pivoted from synthetic materials to to natural materials Yes. So I have been thinking long and hard, uh, how, how can I participate in cleaning up the world, making it a better place? Since I don't have a scientific degree and I don't have a legacy working at a recycling facility or with like renewable energy, those are things that I understand conceptually, but I couldn't actually execute a solution. However, when it comes to food, 
this is something that is so fundamental and close to home. And I was like, wow, it is just crazy to me that America throws away 40% of the food it grows. I mean, in what world do we accept that level of inefficiency, first of all? And it's such a waste of money and time, and it doesn't make sense. And I'm like, why, why, why? And what can I do? And it turns out the solution is extremely, exquisitely simple. It's just not throwing food in the garbage because there's issues sometimes on the farm with restaurants and grocery stores with expecting and trying to anticipate how much food to have and that that'll lead to a lot of waste you know if you have more than you sell on a given week because of innumerable factors then it's a problem and and you have to deal with that but as people in our homes with food scraps all we have to do is not throw them in the garbage and the thing about throwing food scraps in the garbage is when you put food in a landfill, it's trapped. It doesn't have oxygen. And what food needs to decompose is a combination of different factors, but primarily oxygen. And so when it's trapped in the landfill, it creates methane. And believe it or not, 25% of America's methane emissions comes from food and landfills. And methane is a very dangerous greenhouse gas that's much more heat-trapping than carbon dioxide, which we always hear about. And so we could all be participating in cooling the planet by simply not putting food in the garbage. But it gets better. If we don't put food in the garbage and we compost it, compost is the world's best fertilizer and we need fertilizer to grow food. And so by simply not putting food scraps in the garbage, we're actually cooling the planet and helping repair the food cycle and nourish the soil. Because another thing that is an unfortunate reality is that we have a soil health crisis. We're losing a lot of topsoil because we're not fertilizing it appropriately. We're adding all these synthetic fertilizers with petrochemicals, which are often petroleum-based. So it actually does come back down to a plastic problem. And so what Farah is endeavoring to do and is exploring right now through several pilots is how do we make it really easy and how do we incentivize, how do we actually pay people to compost their food scraps? And we had some programs up and running. It was early, but then the lockdown happened. And so I was on these webinars with food suppliers. I was on webinars with compost organizations, and I was hearing an opportunity therein where I realized, you know, restaurants are fighting to survive and pivoting by delivering food directly to people for the, you know, for some for the first time. And in compost organizations that were getting food scraps from restaurants, et cetera, no longer were, so they had all this extra space. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're all at home. Many people are ordering food for delivery. What if we could pick up people's food scraps at the same time? When people have a food delivery coming, the same that delivery person picks up the food scraps and brings them back to the composter. And then we're integrating a zero waste behavior and creating this world that will be better than we had before. And so that's the pilot, and I'll let you speak to it, that we're working on right now. No, I mean, that's great vision. And I appreciate you sort of even sort of kicking it our way. I mean, obviously, we've had to pivot here at the wine bar from, you know, pouring glasses of wine and opening bottles and serving food to people to delivering bottles and food. And, you know, one of my friends reached out to me, sort of, uh, she's kind of very good friends with a lot of farmers and kind of an advocate, if you will, for just great produce and great farmers. And if you listen to the podcast, you heard her on the last one, and it's Christy Mucci who's, you know, a food writer, chef, and just produce junkie, I'll say it. And she was like, hey, like, (laughs) what are you guys doing right now for food in terms of what are you serving? Would you be interested in doing maybe like a CSA with picking up some food from the farmer's market? Because a lot of these farmers have 
you know, lost a lot of their business for the restaurants, you know. I mean, it's great that, you know, a lot of area residents go to the farmer's market and buy for home consumption, but it's, you know, individuals can't compete with commercial, you know, enterprises in terms of scale. So, I mean, 10, 15, 25, 30 restaurants not showing up buying flats of tomatoes and gem lettuce is a huge cut loss to their business. So, We've been trying to help out, fill in, you know, a little bit. So we pick up, you know, a couple of flats here and there from a few different farms of beautiful produce that they have on offer. I mean, honestly, we're getting like beyond first pick right now. And then we're delivering that to, to folks' homes, you know, really in the tri-state area. Started off in New York, but, you know, the demand outside of New York City was so great that we were like, let's just figure out a way to, to bring, you know, a handful of farmer's market items, both produce and sort of maker items to our guests um, who are at home right now. And let's also, of course, throw in a couple bottles of wine because, you know, we're a wine bar. And it's been tremendous. The response, you know, we got a nice little New York mag pickup in their recent uh, issue. It's been really cool. And then for you to sort of see like kind of the missed opportunity and like, well, if we're dropping off, why aren't we picking up? So now we have been. So we've implemented Ferris Zero X Company through our CSA pack. Uh, which has been super cool. You can go on the website and hit online orders and swag. And, you know, so that's companynyc.com. Go to online orders and you can, you know, browse pantry items and you'll see the CSA box. And, yeah, so you'll get every week, you know, buy it. We'll bring it to you. Fresh produce, literally the freshest stuff, you know, fun stuff that you probably are already working with, some things you haven't heard of, kind of pushing you outside your comfort zone based on what you're preparing at home which is sort of challenging you to be a better you know, home chef. And then we'll also in the same drop-off pick up uh, any of the food scraps that you have, uh, which Lauren can talk a little bit more about in terms of you know, how best to keep them, how to store them, how to make it as easy as possible, especially if you have a you know, 200, 300 square foot apartment like a lot of us do. It's not necessarily a no-brainer in terms of how you keep that and not cut into your life too much. But just before you get into that, I mean, I think just from a consumer's perspective, it took me quite a long time to sort of realize that you know, when I'm throwing stuff away into garbage, that is a single stream pickup that is all going to a landfill. You know, I think a lot of us feel good about like throwing away paper instead of plastic, but unless the paper is actually being composted, it doesn't really matter. I mean, if the plastic stays in the landfill forever, if the paper stays in the landfill forever, it's still lost to humanity. Same thing with eggshells and broccoli stems or whatever. If you're not going to eat it, you have to take that food out of the landfill bound trash bin and put it into another trash bin that's going to stay in our quote-unquote like nutrient sphere as humans on earth and that took me a while to sort of fully understand you know because you just think a landfill oh it's all going to like kind of turn into stuff eventually or way after our time you know what i mean like sure like when sun explodes and like you know all the landfills on the earth become stardust yeah eventually it'll all kind of become the same thing but in our lifetime those eggshells those coffee grounds those spent tea leaves those can all become carrots those can all become milk those can all become nuts you know as long as you just take their nutrients and keep them on top of earth in our safe space so i mean do you have any tips for people at home who are like stoked on like figuring out how they can help and you know contribute to something good but maybe don't have the abcs Yes, I just want to say, though, that's so beautifully put, Caleb, and it's so true. Food scraps have nutrients in them, and those nutrients create more food. Everything is food for life if we let it be when it comes to food scraps, and I loved how you put that. It's really easy to participate, honestly, especially if you have a freezer. What I do, I'll just share what I do, because I'm in an apartment. I don't have a yard, even though it kind of kills me. 
I have an urban garden plot that I drive to because I'm in LA. But um, in my apartment, I'm cooking. I cooked my breakfast this morning. I made this like super delicious breakfast taco. I made my own beans and like, you know, refried beans sort of thing and sauteed some spinach, did some eggs, had a banana with some peanut butter. So what in that is going into my little compost is the eggshells and the banana peel. And I have just a little plastic bag that I'm reusing and it's in my freezer it lives in my freezer and when I'm cooking I take it out and I put it on the counter with me and I put in my eggshell and my banana peel and I give it a satisfying little crunch because I just like to do that (laughs) I like to crunch the eggshell once it's in the bag for some reason and then I put it back in my freezer and that's literally it and then when it's about full I bring it to a local compost place and the tricky thing about New York City right now is that curbside collection of organics was suspended until 2021 and the places in the city where you used to be able to drop off are also closed. Grow NYC and Big Reuse were running an incredible operation with 170 different drop-offs where you could go and drop off your food scraps. That's what I do. Like when my little bag and my freezer is full, I bring it to my urban garden and I'm actually helping manage the compost pile there. But anybody could under normal times. Right now it's more difficult because everything's closed. And again, that's why Caleb and I and La Compagnie and I have put together this program where we'll pick up your food scraps and we'll take them to a local compost nonprofit, specifically BK Rot. They're this amazing operation in Bushwick. And in normal times, they bike around and pick up food scraps from restaurants and people who sign up for it. And they compost everything locally. And they hire young people of color. And it's just an amazing carbon negative nonprofit that they've got going on. But so if you want to participate with us, it's just as simple as having a, a bag and putting the food scraps in and keeping it in the freezer. And then when you order the CSA wine pack, you put it outside and La Compagnie will take it over to BK Rot. As it regards what goes into, like what is compostable? The truth is that it depends on where the food scraps are going. So if they're going to a huge industrial facility, that can handle meat and cooked foods like leftovers and stuff like that. But for our operation, it's going to a smaller local nonprofit that is composting everything basically in a garden space in Bushwick. And so because it's a smaller operation, it only gets so hot and the heat is a really important part of the compost process. It's like what helps decompose. It's the fire of transformation, if you will. For us, what would go in it is basically if it has grown and come from the earth, the answer is yes. So all of your like vegetables, eggshells, banana peels, like peels and scraps and legumes and things like that. But if it walked or swam the earth, so if it was like meat or fish, then no. And anything that is really oily or cooked in oily foods, that generally doesn't work either. But if it's something like rice that wasn't cooked in oil, that's fine because that'll decompose easily. I think the one exception here that always kind of stands out to me is sort of the eggshell. Eggshells are A-OK. Eggshells work. Um, I think it's because it's this outer, you know, casing shell. It's pretty thin. It's not oily. It works just fine. Eggshells are great. And I mean, also, uh, just to kind of throw in the nitty gritty while we're here, some of the, while they are good, I think certainly great steps forward. 
as compared to like plastic cups and things like that. But there's like the, you know, the earthenware sort of plant plastic, which are great steps, like I said, forward, but maybe these smaller ones can't handle those as well. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. I was at this recycling conference in, uh, because I'm a total nerd in LA before the shutdown. And they were speaking to the huge problem with that because while it's well-intentioned to create technically compostable materials, because with convenience culture and single use, you know, the recycling facilities are, oh my God, they're inundated and they literally can't process it. So it's all going in the trash. That's why tipping fees are getting so high. And we were shipping our trash overseas to China for, I don't know, like a decade. And they eventually said like, no, this we're not going to take your trash anymore. And it's because there's been so much volume with single use. So it's great to create compostables, but, but there's a huge but. Those are only compostable where facilities exist. And you'll see that on written on the cup if you look carefully for it, the fine print. And the problem is that there aren't that many facilities in the country. I was just reading an EPA report. They investigated all of the facilities in the United States, and there was like 60 in, in all of the U.S. It was some crazy low number. If your city doesn't have an industrial composting facility that's operational or that can handle the volume, that compostable cup is not getting composted. It's getting thrown in the landfill. And the reason why it only works in an industrial facility is because of temperature. And then there's even within an industrial facility, some of those compostable materials, like the facility doesn't get hot enough to degrade that material. There's a lag in regulation especially in America, we're, we're pretty slow for it when it comes to innovation. These materials haven't been regulated yet, so they're on the market saying that they're compostable, which is technically true if you have like some like crazy atomic bomb facility. <laughs> so, kind of a weird reference, but like a lot of them actually are not, and we don't have the infrastructure to process them. So we need to reconcile that. And it's not the consumer's fault. It's not our fault. Like this is a business regulation problem, but we also need to be aware because it is kind of a farce. It's kind of greenwashing, honestly. It sucks. From what I understand, I mean, it's a lot of the suppliers of these materials are the same big suppliers that are in the plastic you know, business. They just saw sort of a decline in their plastic revenue, and they also saw the consumer demand pushing for this. And they're like, well, we can create something and like they're not, they don't really have a vested interest in solving the problem. They just have a vested interest in continuing to sell things. Make that money. Yeah. But, you know, let's just say, okay, as a consumer, it, it does feel very daunting, right? And it's like, how do I help? How do I help? And, you know, I think the biggest thing, which is, you know, what I love that you've done is just really bring it into the home. We're all cooking a lot more. We all have the option where you're chopping the onions and the, this much goes in and then the other half or the other bits, where does it go? Does it go to the trash? No, it should go to a little bag, whether whatever it is, plastic, reuse it, keep it in your freezer. Honestly, even before that, make a stock out of it, right? Keep those nutrients in your house. You, you spend so much money on all this stuff and... It's great if you, you know, if you compost it, all the better. But like you can make stock with, you know, just a little the ramp tops, ramp top, ramp bottoms, onion bottoms, just anything that's like technically delicious, but you wouldn't really want to like crunch on it. Throw in some water, boil it, strain that water out, cook your beans in it tomorrow. The beans are more delicious. Also, you know, now your onions and garlic stems and stuff aren't going to stink up your freezer because they've already kind of been taken apart to a certain extent. Then you put all that in the bag and then I come on Friday and I pick it up uh, or Tuesday or when, whatever you, you know whatever we drop off, you feel great about it because your nutrients are staying on top of earth. You might even eat them again soon. You might see them. So sign one of the nutrients and see if it comes back to you in another form. But no, I mean, there are small things that we can do in our low. And it's, I think we really have to kind of also remember that, like, you know, we have to act locally to eventually see things reverberate globally. 
We can't fix the global problems with one household, but we can really contribute to local problem solutions through our individual households. So this for me is like just a very kind of tactile, tangible way of taking the reins, so to speak, of a problem that, you know, I believe in. And also we can very easily see a solution coming to fruition just through our small actions, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, it all adds up. So I appreciate you sort of helping give us that optimism, that hope, that little extra sort of thing we're working for now, which is, you know, in addition to trying to keep, you know, some people on payroll and support our farmers and just keep the lights on here so that we can hopefully be there tomorrow or next month or whenever all this is over. But also, yeah, rebuild stronger. And how can we be smarter about the resources, the limited resources that we have? You know, this collaboration has been a great hope for me personally, but then also I think just for a few other folks and hopefully growing in our region. It's been a great hope for me too. I mean, it's such a pleasure to work with a longtime friend and to make something positive happen together, to solve a problem together. And it can be easy. It's just putting the dots together. And, you know, we have technology now. We can sync all this software. And, you know, now is the time for us to lean in and have these local systems thrive. Yeah. And close the loop. And I forgot to say, too, coffee. Coffee grounds, you can go in your little compost bag. And if you use a filter, that, generally speaking, if it's made of paper, you know, that's totally good. And La Compagnie and I have put together a guide, a how-to, with sweet little graphics of what can be compostable and what can't, you know. So the can't is basically like, you know, obviously anything that's synthetic and not natural, but also like meat, fish. If you opt in, you know, when you order the CSA wine pack, if you say, yes, food scrap pickup, we'll send that to you. And I am here and very happy to answer questions and talk more about the world of compost because it's my super passion. I'd also just love to hear from people in general about their questions or concerns so that we can learn from you because we're just trying to solve a problem here. We're trying to, to add value. Like Caleb was saying, you know, with this food scrap pickup, it helps company, it helps a local nonprofit that's composting, and it helps the planet and it offers you a way to contribute to your local economy and keep nutrients, like Caleb was saying, on earth and in the earth and in the cycle. So we're just trying to make something beautiful happen, but we're learning as we go. And this was something that was born out of the lockdown. So just all that to say, you know, please, please participate and let us know what you think and let us know what your questions and concerns are so that we can all learn together. Because, you know, I'm just a regular person trying to do something worthwhile. Let's do good things and create a symbiotic system where everybody is taken care of. That's really what I care about. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to do a few things here as we rebuild, you know, which is just kind of focus more on our community and like, you know, how can we order something from a store down the street rather than, you know, just go straight to Amazon to get something. And honestly, we've had a lot of really good luck finding cheaper things, you know, less expensive here in our neighborhood, building relationships with a neighbor, having who needs same day or next day uh, delivery when you can pick it up right then. But then also in just in that sort of building relationship saying, please do communicate with us about these if you have any questions, both before and after or even during. This is sort of all breaking news, you know, again, that New York City is no longer picking up food scraps. We're, you know, jumping in and getting at the helm of taking over for that. We're bringing you local, organic farmer's market produce, and we're essentially saving the farmers a trip to the compost in the grand scheme of things, because, you know, they're spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars 
a month, you know, per year on compost because they need it. Let's save it and let's make their lives a little bit better and make our lives a little bit better. And that all reverberates forward. It's a beautiful thing. I think so. <laughs> Lauren, how can they get in touch with you if they love what you're doing? Woohoo! Well, we've got a website. It's called ferrazero.com. Ferra is spelled F-E-R-A. Fun fact, in French, that is the future well, I'll just, sorry, not everybody knows participles, but it means in French, we will make, basically, what we are making. So it kind of means making zero is what my company means, and there's a little bit of French in there, and it's kind of fun that you had me uh, explain, because of the nature of how we met, that it's all tied to Paris, so it's all just very cool. So yeah, farahzero.com. We are very newly on Instagram, so don't be daunted by the low follower account, all y'all. Okay, I just made the Instagram account like last week, but we're on Instagram as Farah Zero. I personally am also on Instagram. Lauren Turk Music made my Instagram for the music thing. So that's why that's that. And there's a way to get in touch on the website. There's a email function. You can also message me directly on Instagram at either account. I manage both of them and I would love to talk, compost or other things or listen to my music, whatever you want. Take your pick. Well, Lauren, thank you for joining us on this extra special COVID-19 edition of the Wine Bootcamp podcast presented by Company Originals. Sadly, again, you know, we're, we don't have Wiesam joining us. He's uh, safely in Brooklyn, so hopefully he'll be back next time, but he's doing well. So in case you were wondering where Wiesam was, he's there. And that's about it. So, you know, once again, your host, Caleb Ganser here, coming live from NYC, from the wine bar. The compressors are back on. You can hear them. Lauren Turk, live in L.A. Thank you for joining us and look forward to getting more compost going. Thank you so much for having me, Caleb. And thank you, Caleb and La Compagnie, for partnering with us on this experiment and this endeavor to keep food scraps out of the garbage because they're gold. Black gold. Black gold. Check out the website, companynyc.com. Order your CSA with food scraps pickup. We'll bring you things. You give us stuff. And that's how life goes on. Yes. Literally. Oh, Caleb, I love you. (laughs) All right, y'all. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. And that's all we have on our show today, folks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, editing is done by Marine Brun-Franzetti. Music is by Mark Adams. And Wissam Jojon is still sending out the good vibes. I'm your host, Caleb Ganser. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>